Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to C3 Corumbans podcast. We want you to know that you are loved by a God who is love. So good to have you with us. Why don't you enjoy this week's sermon? So good to be here. Well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Dan and my wife Hannah and I, as she said, get the honor of leading this incredible church. So it is so great to see you. Hopefully we can meet after the service if we haven't met yet. And one more time, can we welcome our online viewers? It's so good to have you guys tuning in. Incredible. If you're tuning in online right now, if you speak to your computer, we can actually hear it. So go ahead and say hello. No, just kidding. We can't. No, you've got turn mute off. We heard you singing this morning. No, it's fantastic to have you guys tuning in in uh, another season of some sickness trying to get around, but it's not going to stop us having Christmas cheer, is it? Amen. Summer is here. God is good. How many people are summer people? Oh, it's, you know, I just adore the sunshine and the beach and the waves and everything about it. So I'm in a happy place. I was explaining to people this morning, they're like, how was your week? I'm like, this is like a busy season, but how fun is everything, right? Like everyone's happy because it's warm and they just want to have meals and catch-ups and laugh. And I'm like, this is so good. And it's Christmas and I love it. So anyway, get on. Uh, Hopefully the Black Friday sales weren't too damaging to your credit card. And we remember the reason of the season, uh, which is a new 50-inch TV. Uh, Just kidding. It's Jesus and everything about the goodness of God. We are preaching through Romans chapter 8 for seven weeks, and we're halfway. Today, we're going to be looking at uh, what the whole theme for the whole seven weeks is children of God. And we're going to do a deep dive into that today because we're really hammering in on that part in in verses 14 we're going to pick up in today. But here's the thing I just want to keep saying while we look at Romans 8 together, this is a big paradigm shift for a lot of people, and it's something you need to get. It's that being a Christian is not just trying to live a morally better life, nor is it even like a step into the kingdom or a step into the gospel, just that your sins are forgiven. This is about us being children of God. There is nothing greater you will hear. If your gospel is just, oh, Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, it's not wrong. It's just weak. It's incomplete. There's so much more on offer. And we are right now not only living in a post-Christian country and culture, rapidly becoming anti-Christian country and culture. And do you know what we are called to do in this time? Instead of complaining about the rights and freedoms that we're losing, we are called to grow in being Children of God, light in a dark place, hope to the world, people who love their enemies well. Amen? And so let's not complain that we're losing certain freedoms and rights and people don't like us and things like that. Let's be children of God. Let's take the kingdom of God into the world. Let's take the presence of God into the world. So we Shannon before, the curtain in the temple was torn when Jesus died. Amen? Why? Because God's presence wants to go into the world. How does it get there? You and I. You and I. So let's take his presence. And that happens when we grow as being children of God. If you, oh, Dens was at Red Frogs this week. How was it, bud? Incredible. Do you want to come up and give us a quick update? This is our youth pastor, Denzel. Just one minute. I know you're tired and exhausted. I didn't prep you on it. You've had barely any sleep all week, but you're young enough to handle it. So 30 seconds, 60 seconds. How was it, bud? With some highlights and some incredible things the Froggies were doing this week. Cool. So it was a very healthy week this week at Schoolies. Uh, Red Frogs 
motto is to serve, uh, to save a generation, hang on, to serve a generation, to save a generation, to serve a generation. Uh, I got there in the end. Um, but hey, we just served, this whole week was a week of just focusing on serving uh, young people as they're transitioning into this new season of life, adulthood, or being in the real world, no longer a student. Um, and some of those moments is we get to help young people just make the right life decisions or giving them the advice of knowing what to do when they have made the wrong decisions. Um, and sometimes it's holding people's hair back whilst they vomit. Sometimes it's cleaning their vomit. And sometimes it's just as simple as cooking them pancakes. And each of those moments has led to seeds being planted in their lives. Um, and right now I'm hearing a few stories that some of those frogs that have made great connections with schoolies are doing follow-ups this week over coffee uh, because some of those schoolies were interested in why do you do what you do? And that's a great question to lead about Jesus. Uh, so it's myself and Julian that went down. So if you see him with red hair, it's because of red frogs. The schoolies dyed his hair. So thank you guys for praying for us and supporting us uh, and hope to have you guys join us next year for Schoolies 2023. Thank you. Incredible job, guys. Love it. A, a beautiful thing. All right, Romans chapter 8. I don't have it on the screen this morning, so apologies if you forgot your Bible, but you can listen along. And uh, we're just going to do a couple of verses today right in the middle. Once again, this theme of children of God. Picking up in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. How cool is that? Verse 15, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. A couple of things to think through. This is past tense. You have received this spirit. So if you are here and you would call yourself a Christian and you put your faith in the finished work of the cross in Jesus Christ, then guess what? God's spirit is inside you. Amen? This is a significant shift away from cultural Christianity where I don't do these moral things and I do these. Now it's about a spiritual realm. It's about a relationship with God. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children... We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory, but we are to share his glory. We must also share his suffering. Next week, I'm going to speak more about suffering. Uh, so please don't skip that week. Come along. <laughs> Everyone's like, I just remembered I got a thing on. Oh, God. <laughs> Suffering with joy, a joy the world cannot steal. Suffering expectantly for glory to come. But today I want to speak about adoption. I want to speak about something that being children of God, I, I want us to grow in. And it's one of the greatest revelations and moments. I think in Christendom, once again, it will change your prayer life. It will change your reading life. It will change your church attendance. It will change everything when you rest and grow in your revelation that you are a child of God. To do this, it's not a perfect picture. It's not meant to be a perfect picture, but I want to look at some incredible, wonderful things that happen in the story of the prodigal son. If you've got your Bible, head on over to Luke chapter 15. Uh, 
If you're new to Christianity, Luke, uh, it's a great gospel. It's one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four different views of Jesus' life. Luke is the only one written by a non-Jew. He's a Gentile. He's a doctor. He's an educated man. He's actually doing a very in-depth study and report on Jesus' life. He wrote Luke and Acts uh, to O Great Theophilus, and he's giving this in-depth story and journey. And a lot of the times you'll see in Luke, in Acts, sorry, it's and they did this and they did this and then they did this and it shifts. I'm losing where right now, maybe Luke, uh, Acts 11 maybe. And it's like, and then we went, we went, we went instead of they. And so you actually see where Luke enters the story and he starts traveling with Paul. But anyway, so the beautiful thing I love about Luke's gospel is there's all these things, this is just fun facts, there's all these things that you don't find in any other gospels. And the reason that I love that is because Luke, being a non-Jew, was just writing this. Everyone's got their own lens, right? With, we see the same God, but we've got our own backstory, personality, our experience. And Luke's got a goal when he's writing this gospel. It's not just to glorify God. It's not just to give an account of Jesus. It's about the least, the last, and the lost. Luke is focused on the outcasts. Luke is, is focused on the nobodies in a way. So there's these beautiful things you won't read about in any other gospel, like Zacchaeus, how cool is that one? Or the Good Samaritan. I love that. Mary's song. It's this song of praise and adoration. It's beautiful and wonderful. We find it nowhere else. And Luke 15, these incredible stories about the Father heart of God that we don't see anywhere else. We see the Father heart of God, but we don't see these stories. And I want to pick up, I'll come back to the start of Luke 15, but I'm just going to pick up about the prodigal son, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, I'm going to finish with that today. There's, there's a point. Pastor Chris White used to help me a lot. I, used to, I still sometimes do it. I overinterpret parables sometimes. It's like you're trying to form a perfect theology from one parable. It's not Jesus' goal. It's normally he's got like one point he's trying to get across here. One main thing. It's a story, right? So it's an allegory. It's an illustration. It's a metaphor, whatever. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. My son's only five. If he says that to me, I'm going to smack him down. Like, <laughs> Dad, I can't wait till you die. Like, I'm so looking forward to it. I wish it would happen now. But because I actually am impatient, can you just give me like half of your stuff now and I'm going to go away from you? Like, that's so offensive. Oh, that's so offensive. So his father agreed. What a gracious, incredible father to divide his wealth between the sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings, all his new inheritance, and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned both against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, 
And oh, you got to catch this. If you never heard this, you've got to catch this. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get the ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, but now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found, and so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So his father came out and begged him. Father heart is just crazy in this whole passage. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. In all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. The father said to him, look, my dear son, You've always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your, fr- your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Let's pray. Oh, God, help us. In a busy world, in a distracting world, it's so easy to get swept up in just the busyness of life. So many things are happening, but also the distraction with social media and the news, YouTube and Netflix and stuff. Help us to pull away from those things often enough to sit in your presence as children of God. To rest in the most important truth of all, that you saved us for relationship. God, all the pleasures and things and joys in this world will fade away, but we'll be with you for eternity. So I pray right now you help us to rediscover a joy in how much you love us and how much joy it brought you to save us and bring us into your family. I pray that in that moment that anything that's weighing us down, any concern or fear of the future or worry will drift away as we rest in the Father's arms and the love of God today. Help us to live from that place. Help us to work from that place. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a couple of key things, obviously, to, that I want to bring out this morning. And something that I don't, um, you know, I think we could go a lot deeper into it and uh, get commentators and theologians and we could debate about what is really meaning in Romans 8 between the sin nature and the law of sin and death and what's going on here and when they work hand in hand. Because Romans 7 says, wasn't until I knew the law that sin was awoken in me and I was aware of sin. So at times they're linked, but at the same time, they're very not linked. Let's remember God's law is perfect and holy and upright. It's a good thing, but it's a, it can never save someone. You see that balance? 
I'm getting off topic. Sometimes people are like, Jesus came to, to get away with the law, to wipe it away. No, he didn't. He was clear about that in Matthew 5. He said, I didn't come to wipe away the law. I, I came to fulfill it for you. <laughs> Big difference there. But Romans 8, it keeps bringing out these two things, your sinful nature and the law. And they look very different. They are very different, but at the same time, has similar effects on us embracing God's grace and living in God's grace. I think both pulls, while completely different directions, have similar manifestations and and outcomes. If I can today, I want to look at both brothers. And I want to just try and look at how I believe the younger brother was, as Romans 8 speaks about, fulfilling that sinful nature, those sinful pleasures inside his heart. And the older brother was trapped in the house of God, but completely trying to live by the law. And both, if we could argue both, Tim Keller will say this, a great book. I recommend books sometimes, write it down. if you, It's thin, flipping great book. It's called Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Really thin, really wonderful. Because prodigal means rest, reckless, right? So in the, we call it a prodigal son is the story, reckless son. But Tim Keller wants to highlight, no, the recklessness of God to, to abandon everything in so much love for his kids. And what he highlights is this truth. Both sons were lost. Both sons weren't living in the presence and love of God and the Father there. So let's look at this. There's a few things I want to bring out in this passage while we have time. I'm normally a three-point guy. I've got eight today, people. The uh, compartmentalist, systematic person in me is dying right now. I'm trying not to over-preach this passage, and yet again, I'm really trying to not over-interpret it. But there's some things that are said here that I think are, even if Jesus wasn't trying to say it in Luke 15, it's there, and I believe they're biblically accurate. So I just want to look at a few things from the sons and the father today. First thing, let's look at the prodigal son. Let's look at the one who goes out. First thing that I believe Romans 8 is speaking about in that passage is that sin can never satisfy us. It just can't do it. Romans 8, 13. We started in 14 today, so this was last week. If you live by sin's dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will die. Live. Sin will never satisfy you. Sin will never make you feel whole. It literally said a few days after getting all his inheritance and all the wealth and all the money, this guy goes away, packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. What a perfect picture of sin. Let's not lie. It, uh, you know, sometimes I ran youth for eight years in the high school ministry here. Sometimes you kind of just want to say to the, you know, someone becoming 13 and different hormones are going on in their body. It's just like, oh, don't do it. It's gross. Like, trust me, like sex, uh, just don't even worry about it until you're married. Like, it's, uh, it just don't do it. It's, uh, uh. And the fruit of that often is they just get more curious and end up wanting to <laughs> explore it even further. 
And then they get into pornography and they get into conversations at school and they get into that lifestyle. I think a better teaching is that this is a good picture of sin. Sin often feels great in the moment. Every aspect, not just the sex side of sin, the, the, the pleasures, the lusts, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life, getting more money, getting a new thing. This feels great in the moment. Let's not lie. Because that is what sin is. Sin is taking something God created good and twisting its purpose to be for my glory. So it feels really good in the moment. But let's be clear, sin will always leave you starving. I can promise you. Uh, Look at the world right now. In a world where we have kind of just said, I'm not trying to debate different things going on right now, but just a big picture to highlight something. In a, in a world right now, especially the last four or five years, we've kind of just removed any boundaries anywhere. There is no absolute truths anywhere. There is no boundaries. It's like, as long as you feel good, like go for it. Okay, now, now what are we left with? Kind of this cesspool of craziness, right? And what are we discovering really quickly? It's not helping people feel fulfilled without getting into the topic or the person, a very good friend of mine, his best friend is a 45-year-old psychologist. And without getting into the topic, he is saying already we are seeing after 18 months of having been enforced to shift language we use when meeting with a client, not only is it not having a positive impact, within 18 months it's having a measurable negative impact impact. How quickly we walk away from things. When we think that the goal of life, and this is in all of us, okay, can we be honest? The God, somewhere deep in all of us is like, just give me all of it, and I want all of the fun the world has to offer, and it's going to leave us completely broke. It's going to leave us completely empty. It's going to feel great in the moment, but there will be a moment when you're out in the middle of nowhere with no friends, surrounded by pigs, starving. It's going to happen. Why? Because sin never satisfies. It will in the moment, but it's so fleeting. This is why we're going to push into children of God. Amen? So sin will never satisfy you. I've got seven more points. Sin never satisfies you. So now we've got this sin. We're coming back to God, right? And it comes when He came to Himself, this revelation that I've got to get back to God. And what is that birthed in? It's a revelation that in my father's house, in a relationship with God, there's more than enough. There's an abundance in God's arms. There's an abundance of grace and mercy. There's an abundance of love. There's an abundance of truth. There's an abundance of life. And it's all in, not even just the building, it's in God's arms. So we push here, it's about relationship with our father in heaven. And here's something I also want to pull out. You have to admit that you have sinned and you aren't worthy to be called a son. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. Galatians 3, anyone taking notes? 3, 22. The Scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom. Your prisoners, promise of freedom. God wants to set you free from that only by believing in Jesus Christ. What did the son say? He's coming home. He's coming home. And what's his, what's his rehearsed speech? Three things. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Make me one of your hired servants. Three points. It's just like me. It's a great three-point preach. He's going to be a good Pentecostal pastor one day. Anyway, he's got three points. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called a son. Make me as one of your hired servants. When he gets to the Father, what does he say? I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be called your son. And then he doesn't get the third point out. The Father stops. When you come to God, you have to be completely convinced you have sinned against heaven and against God. If you don't think you've got sin, you don't need a saviour. You have to see that you are not worthy to be called a child of God. You haven't earned this. You're not good enough. I mean, you're great, but you're not good enough. I'm not worthy to be called a child of God. But here's the thing God will not allow you to do. Can you make me a hired servant in the house of God? Why not that? Because a hired servant wants to pay off their debt. God won't allow you to do that. That is not an option when you're an adopted child of God. God wants you to enter through admitting your sin. God wants you to enter through being embracing your unworthiness, but there is no paying off debt in the gospel. There is no paying off debt in the kingdom. That's why it's good news. He paid the debt. The debt's done. Colossians 2, 14. He cancelled the record of debt that stood against us. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You cannot pay it off. I think about ahead of myself. It's the third thing. Embracing God. Never become a fearful slave. In Romans 8 today that we're looking at, you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Let's just stop on that for a second. What is a... This is someone who goes, yeah, I'm saved. Yep, I'm forgiven. But, oh, God, I stuffed up again. I can't go to church on Sunday. Oh, man, I, I can't go to Sozo Group. I keep stumbling with the same sin, the same thing. I don't know why I keep doing it. I try not to do it, and it happens again. What's going on? Oh, God's going to hate me. Yeah, he could forgive me once, but he said, don't do it again. I'm here doing it again. That's not a child. That's not a child. The child goes, oh, stuffed up. I've got to go to dad. The word used there, Abba, Father, you know this. It gets preached all the time. It's, a, it's weird in some ways because I've never called my dad, daddy in my life that I can remember. I'm hoping and believing he'd slap me because, you know, I'm one of three boys and he's a bricklayer. We have a much more macho, chest-bumping relationship, but that's just my journey. But <laughs> the word Abba literally means like daddy, and even if you feel uncomfortable saying that, you have to embrace the intimacy that that portrays. Because it's not about a distant relationship with God, it's about so close. And the other thing it highlights, childlike. Jesus was clear, unless you receive the kingdom of God as one of these children, you're not going to get there. You have to do it through just complete joy and childlike nature of dad. And that's what the gospel is, coming in to not just I'm forgiven, but I'm, I'm a child of God, right? I'm not a fearful slave. Satan will try and get you to feel like a fearful slave. Remember that. We looked at verse 1. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God's not going to condemn you. The wrath of God is not coming your way once you put your faith in Jesus Christ. But Satan's goal is to condemn you and for you to condemn yourself. And that's why, again, Paul was really clear, you haven't received 
the spirit of fearful slaves. It's not it. You've received the spirit of adoption. You're a child of God. Last, on this, the last point on the prodigal son. Embrace the royalty of being clothed in Christ. Remember when the son came home, quick, what does he say? Get the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Come with me, come. Galatians chapter 3, if you're taking notes. I nearly preached out of end of Galatians 3, start of Galatians 4, is almost identical to a lot of Romans 8. Galatians and Romans are like sister letters. So there's a lot of similarities there, okay? And I was going to go out of this passage because it speaks so wonderfully about adoption. But I just want to pull out a couple of things. Galatians 3.27. I love this. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. How cool is that? This is what's happening to the son the moment he comes back. Yeah, I've sinned. I'm not worthy to be called a child of God. And the father goes, exactly. Now here's the robe that represents sonship, royalty. You're a child of God now. You, all you've got to do is just wear the robe. Everyone who's in Christ has put on Christ. That's how we become children of God. Like putting on new clothes. Okay, I don't want to bounce around Scripture too much, but just this picture. Take notes if you are taking notes. Uh, Matthew chapter 22. We read about the great wedding feast. Is that ringing a bell to anyone? It's a beautiful passage. It literally starts with, and, and Jesus told them this story about a father who throws a big wedding feast for his son. It's a beautiful picture about heaven one day, Right? All through the New Testament, we are called the bride of Christ, the church. And when we get to heaven, Revelation speaks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So it's a cool picture. That's what's happening in heaven. I don't mean to make it weird. We are going to have this beautiful moment with God that's called like a wedding feast. This picture is a parable of what that moment will be like. It's great. Matthew 22, I think it's like one to... 13, 1 to 14, go through it in your time. One thing I want to pull out about the end, it's really, really, really important. Anyone gets invited. There's poor people, there's rich. It even says good and bad alike. Like it go, it's, it's full on. Anyone's invited, anyone's allowed. That is what grace is, amen? It's for everyone and anyone. But when they get to the wedding, the father walks around and stops one person. And his, his conviction, his challenge to this person is not like you're not rich enough to be here. It's not you didn't have a shower before you came. It's not you didn't have enough friends. There's one thing. How did you get in here without the proper wedding clothes? He literally says to this person, to his, the guy had no reply, says to his servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into outer darkness. It's a frightening passage. Without speaking on all of the things that it entails, here's the one thing we're clear on. The only way into the wedding feast one day is being clothed in Christ. It's your only option, friends. Because you and I are sitting there stinking. Sin on us stinks like we've been feeding pigs. 
and we have nothing to offer God. But he has joy to welcome us in. He's got one request. Just put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a couple of things about the older son. For time's sake, I'm going to go quick. And then I want to finish. I can't wait to get to the ending. But the older son, look at this. Something I want to bring out about adoption as well. I talk about this often. But the father never rebuked the older son for working really hard. He didn't come and he's like, oh, you shouldn't be working in the field. Just come and eat grapes and we'll get a palm leaf and just fan you all day. And you can wear linen. It's just awesome. Like, come on. He never rebuked his hard work, but he rebuked him for not taking up his privileges and rights as a son of God. We say this, God is not against your effort. God is against you earning. He's not against you working hard for the kingdom of God. That's not what grace is. He wants you to work hard. Paul said, I've worked harder than every one of you. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working within me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Grace works hard, but here's the thing I want to push in because we're children of God. God's not going to rebuke your hard work, but He's going to rebuke you not accessing the privileges you have now. This is why Hebrews, the author, begs us. He's like, come boldly, confidently into the throne room of grace. It's like, come, get there, go and get there. And what are we doing when we're there? Are we getting a reward? Are we, are we telling God how amazing we are? It's like, nope. We're there to obtain mercy and find favor in a time of need. It's like, come, come, I want to help you. Come. The son wasn't rebuked for working hard for the kingdom of God, he was rebuked for follow, slipping into law and not grace. In grace, we go to God often. In grace, we need His help daily. In grace, we need the Holy Spirit to help us live for Him. And the Father, last thing about the older son, the Father taught him to rejoice over sinners coming, becoming children of God. I love the ending. We had to celebrate this happy day. It's like there was no other option. The Father's just correcting him. He's like, what, what other option did I have? Someone just came home. There's no other reaction. That's okay. Come on now, Andy. Someone's getting saved. You've been praying for them and they're finally experiencing God and the love and freedom that He offers. There is no other reaction than a party. May we celebrate nothing more than someone being saved. I'm so proud of us for paying off debt. I'm so proud of the things you guys do and volunteering and our outreach and food relief, but nothing. Thing matters more here in the kingdom than salvation. May we have the same reaction as God. Amen. I really want to jump into God's reaction. This, okay, I'm going to finish with this if I can get the band up. And we're going to have communion after this. So please don't turn off. Sometimes when I say I'll finish with this, some people like check their phone and think about lunch after. This is the most important part. You ready? You with me? Like I said at the start, to illustrate the point further. Now, I know I elaborated on these passages and I pulled out seven other points. But there's one. If you forget everything, there's one I want you to catch today. This whole, the three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, is an overflow. It's Jesus' answer to a situation. 
Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Tax collectors who were outcasts. Everyone hated them because they're stealing all the Jews of their money, right? So that they were so hated. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law. This made the older brothers. This made the self-righteous. This made those who think they're incredible because they don't do certain big sins and they're at church regularly and they think God loves them because of those things and not their faith in Jesus Christ. Well, those self-righteous people, this made them complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, I read out of the New Living Translation because I'm trying to help uh, new Christians or non-Christians understand what we're doing. But I like New King James, and it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners uh, were all drawing near to him. The Pharisees and scribes were grumbled, saying this. This is, this is what I want to pull out. This is their grumble. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And I always thought that word receives was so weak. I'm not going to lie. I've read this chapter hundreds of times. I was like, receives. It seems more like a business transaction to me. Do you know what I mean? Receives. Oh, yeah, what do you want? Oh, okay, come in. I guess we've got some spare food. Is there a table? A chair? Okay, just go that way. That fits receives to me. Receives is such an unemotional word to me. So I'm not very good with Greek, but every now and again something jumps out and I want to look deeper. I love this. You ready? I'm going to pronounce it so wrong. Prosdekamai. The word receives. Prosdekamai. Luke, in these Gospels, uses it six other times. And every time it means to eagerly await or expect and look for. To eagerly await or expect and look for. So let's reread it. Tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were so angry and they were grumbling saying, this man eagerly awaits, expects and looks for sinners to eat with him. That's the God we worship. Amen. Ah, Thank you, God. He's so good. Can we close our eyes? He's so good. <sighs> May cultural Christianity die a miserable death. May relationship come back to life. Church be more alive than ever. Holy Spirit, use us. Help us to see that we're children of God for eternity. Not because of our own doing. We're sitting here empty, broke, with nothing to offer you. We stink. But you eagerly long to eat with us to be with us, to welcome us home. You're so good. God, it is all you. It's always been you. Give us this heart as children of God. May we never be fearful to pray again. May we never be fearful to confess our sin again. Even when we forget to pray all week and month, may we never be afraid of approaching you. Help us to see that you're just longing. You're longing for us to come near. You eagerly await us. Oh, God, we thank you for this passage. Three 
times in this chapter, three times it speaks about how much joy is all through heaven when even one person comes back to you. So God, right now we pray for our loved ones that don't know you. We pray that they would not just come to a building or a service, they'd come to a loving Father. We pray that they wouldn't just hear music and, and, and teaching, they'd hear a loving message. They'd hear your voice. They'd see your hand extended to them saying, come. God, I pray that they wouldn't just receive religion. God, I pray our loved ones would receive you. They'd receive you, God. You're so wonderful. You're so incredible. Lord, I also pray for the, the older brothers here or at churches across Australia, the people who fill churches week in, week out, who aren't living as children of the Most High God. I pray for a fresh revelation to fill their heart of what they're missing out on. Lord, all of their service and all of their giving and all of their work, as amazing as it is, just correct their heart to see that you long to eat with them as well, to feast with them as well, for them to access everything in heaven, the throne room of grace, your word in Ephesians 1, 3, you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, help us to access that. Help us to live like that's real. Oh, we love you, God. You eagerly await us. So today, every one of us, we're coming. We're coming to your arms. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you will enable us to truly in our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, today. And the stewards, please hand out the communion emblems. Just keep our eyes closed for a little bit longer. If you need to open them to take your emblems or pass something around, that's fine. If you're here today and you would not call yourself a Christian, First of all, we are so glad to have you here today. Thank you for being with us. Number two, this is something that we do as believers, so please do not feel to take part in this. Um, communion is actually a reminder of a covenant that we are in with God. It's quite a powerful, wonderful moment. And so if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that's totally fine, but just um, just feel free to not partake of the, the drink and, and what we're about to do but still just stay in the building. You're welcome here. We love having you here. We're going to worship together soon. We're going to sing to our God. He's such a good God. I beg you, church, grow as a child in intimacy with God. We love you, Lord. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and something's gone on in your heart today, something's happened. Maybe it was this week. Maybe someone said something to you at the shops. Maybe you own a Bible and you opened it midweek and it just made sense. The words leapt off the page. I'm not sure what your journey is, but I'm asking if you've never given your life to Jesus, but now suddenly you find yourself believing He is the one true God, He is real and you want to receive him, 
Well, the first beautiful news I have today is that then I believe it's already happened. God has saved you. He has made you alive, the Bible speaks about. But the second thing is we would love to help you in that journey. So I'm going to wait down the front with Han, the team are here. Please come and see us after this service. We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to point you in the right direction with some reading this week. We'd love to pray with you and meet with you. God is such a good God. He's looking for people just like you to save and redeem and bring into the family. When you've got your emblems, feel free to stand. I know the guys are still walking around a little bit. We're going to worship together. So if you've got your carpet cracker, Uh, Holy Spirit. When you've got your cup and cracker and you're standing, we'll just close our eyes and the band's going to lead us in worship soon. But let's have that moment with God, amen? Let's remember that. Like if we're here and we're Christians, we've had that moment where we stood at him so helpless and empty-handed. And we felt him with his loving arms just draw us to himself. Let's remember that. The Father heart of God, the finished work of Jesus, that we are now clothed in his righteousness. The Father looks at us and says, Son, daughter, welcome home. Let's take these emblems when you're ready, remembering that we can only say that because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's how much he loves you. Thank you, God.